You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Well, it's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device or one of the pew Bibles around there next to you and go to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're back after Easter Sunday, back in Hebrews 12 and in our series through the book of Hebrews. And today we remember our risen Christ also. And Hebrews, this passage, reminds us of the no longer deadness of Jesus. And one of the things we've been saying through the book of Hebrews is that We must keep looking to Jesus. That is the subtitle of the series, that looking to Christ, no matter where we are and and what we are facing, that the message and the hope of the Christian life is that we keep looking to Jesus. No matter what we've been through, what we will go through, and even the sins and temptations that we're battling even this morning, we keep looking to Jesus. And that really comes out of today's passage too. Um, Here in Hebrews 12, that's really where we find this phrase, Looking to Jesus. And we find it right here in verse 2. As we do every week, if we're able together, we'd like to read God's word together and stand. So let's stand together as we read God's word, and I'll lead us through this reading. And we'll begin in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 13. And the message today that he gives us is if we're going to run this race, there are a few things we need to do if we're going to run the race of the Christian life. Beginning in verse 1, the Holy Spirit tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us as we sit under your voice and your words from this book. Holy Spirit, would you lead us now as we Seek to understand the Word of God together. Jesus, will you be made much of and exalted and cherished among us? Help us now, Lord. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
I remember when my wife and I, I mean, you make a lot of big purchases in your life. You've got homes and, and cars and all, all these kinds of things. That, these are big expenses. And I think one of the biggest expenses and really one of the most underrated and undervalued and almost under-considered expenses is your mattress. You go mattress shopping, you spend a lot of time. I mean, you should if you're responsible. You lay on a bunch of different beds. and you. But how much can you tell? I don't know. I'm laying here for two minutes. I'm going to spend eight hours on this thing. I don't know. I can't tell. And you go lay on that one, you lay on that one, you roll around, and your kids jump on it, and you all check it out. And then finally, you just make a decision, and then you go, I, I think this is going to be the bed. I don't know. It's comfortable. It's got a good price. It's firm, not too firm. I mean, all these scenarios. And you just finally make the decision, and you move on. You don't really ever think about it again. You know, the, the Christian life isn't a one-time decision. That, okay, I, I want Jesus to take me to heaven, not to hell. And then you just kind of meander through your life doing your own thing. That, that is not Christianity. Christianity, or, or living with Christ, it is a marathon. It is not mattress shopping. You make a decision, which is more comfortable, pick it, and then lay it down, lay down on it, and never think about it again. That is not Christianity. And Christianity is also not like a New Year's gym membership. A lot of zeal in the beginning, and then it kind of putters out few months in. No, Christianity, the Christian life is a race. That's why it says in verse 1, let us run with endurance the race set before us. I've heard races are hard. I've been told. I did the 1K kids walk. That was tough to guide my five-year-old just to keep going. Races are exhaustion, working hard, pain, effort, training, rehydrating, and if you think about this analogy, let us run the race set before us. This is off of the heels of the great chapter 11, where it's all by faith and by faith and by faith and by faith. So that is, these two chapters connected together are already breaking for us the idea that there's faith and that faith is opposed to working hard for Christ. Faith and then running. They go together. It is not a contradiction to live by faith and then also to run the race. They go together. We run the race by faith because we know Jesus is alive, so we run. Because Jesus is my Lord, so we live this way, so we do these things. And because I believe Jesus died for me and rose for me, we flex the calf muscles of faith and go forward and we run the race. Look at verse 1. Look at how he begins. This is why the word therefore is there. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This is all the, the guys and gals we read about in chapter 11 who they did this by faith, and Moses and Abraham and, and Noah and Jacob and Joseph and Sarah and on and on about what they all did by faith, since they are our great cloud of witnesses showing we can endure by faith too. Now, sometimes what we hear about this passage is uh, we have this great cloud of witnesses and they're cheering us on saying, go, go, go. Not, that's not really the, the meaning of the word witness here. That's typically how we think about it, that they're witnessing us. This word means they're witnessing to us. That they're witnesses like in a courtroom, on a stand, and they're testifying. They are testifying, preaching to us, we endured, you can too. I ran my race by faith in God. I saw him split the sea. You run your race by faith. We marched around the city of Jericho looking like a bunch of fools, but when that thing came down by faith, we endured. You endured too. This is the, our cloud of witnesses. They're preaching to us. Endure by faith. 
Run your race. Stay attentive to God. I think this is really kind of the foundation of the message is our attention. When I, I love being here a couple weeks ago and I wasn't preaching and Pastor Barry was preaching and I just got to be here like you and, and to sing without thinking about my sermon and just to be fed from God's word myself. As I was sitting here, it just get, gives me just another perspective every week when that, when that happens. And I was just so reminded that one of the key reasons, main reasons why we keep gathering together is that we need to be re-engaged with reality to be re-engaged with the reality of the gospel every Sunday and of God's glory and that God's, that this is God's universe, that this is not our universe and, oh yeah, God's out there. No, this is God's universe and that God is at the center and that God has given us his word and God has given us his son and God's given us each other, that this is reality because it's so easy for us to go through our week, to go to work, to come home, to have dinner, to watch Netflix, put the kids to bed, watch Netflix again, and then to just go take kids to sports, go to our sports, do our hobbies, hang with friends, Monday through Saturday, and forget the reality that I've been crucified with Christ and that I've been raised to walk with him in newness of life and that I'm an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven now and I have been I'm now been enabled and set free from the chains of sin, death, and darkness, and I am now an ambassador of his kingdom, proclaiming his excellencies. This is our entire life now. We can forget that reality Monday through Saturday, and we gather here singing, opening an ancient book, listening to a guy talk about this ancient book for 40 minutes. We're drinking blood by faith and eating bread, the flesh of Christ, by faith. Why? To be reminded and re-engaged with what is real, with what is ultimate. Our faith, the reality the assurance of things not seen with King Jesus. And Hebrews comes right at us and says, there's a couple things we need to do to stay attentive to reality. And the first one is, if we're going to run this race, we got to lay aside our hindrances and sins. Look at verse 1 again. Verse 1, chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the people from chapter 11, let us, here's the command, here's the appeal to us now, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. So like a marathon runner you see on TV, they are not carrying any extra things. They've got a tank top on, some shorts, shoes, and they're gone. No backpack, no books, no phone so they can check in on Facebook. Halfway done. You know, they're not doing these things. They're not Instagramming sites along the way. They're not distracted. And running and in sports, you want to be free. You want to be as non-restricted as possible. Why? Because you want, to com- you want to compete and go and commit and be at your best so you can do your best. And his point here is that if we're going to run the Christian life, if we're going to run with endurance, we've got to be in the proper mode, proper attire, like, I wouldn't go play a game of pickup basketball wearing this. I, it would, I would not do well. I, I would do way worse than already I was going to do. I'd want to be fit for the occasion. The Christian life, we've got to lay aside things that are, making us, that are making it more difficult for us to run with endurance, and he gives us two. 
Lay aside every weight and sin. And just, we've got to think about here, this word, just lay aside for a second, because we've got to emphasize that sometimes we talk about living the Christian life, we, and we, we mean well, but we say things usually in isolation. We tell someone, hey, you've you got to start you know, doing good works, and you've got to pray, you've got to read your Bible, and you've got to come to church, you've got to you know, do these things. And that's true. That is a part of the Christian life. It is adding Christ-honoring, holiness-cultivating actions into our lives. That is very true. But there's also the laying aside things. There's also the letting go of the Christ, the things that dishonor Christ, the things that don't cultivate holiness, and laying those down. And there are two categories. Look at what he says. The lay aside the weight, and sins, which cling so closely. These are really helpful categories because we, we don't, by default, think this way. So sins, why weights and sins? Sins are the, the obvious category. The things that God's word clearly says, okay, these are sin. The, that, the, they're obvious from God's word. Lying and, and lust and envy. Think, they're not helping us run our race. Immorality and impurity and, and drunkenness and pornography and gluttony. I mean, all these things that try to cling closely to us. It's obvious from God's word. That's sin. It's got to go. I, I, I got to lay it aside. This is a part of the Christian life. I mean, God is telling us, don't do this. It dishonors God. And it dishonors you and me when we do these things because we're, we're children of God and we've been set free from Satan and set free from sin and set free from the chains and slavery of sin. So it dishonors us when we submit to these things. So it, sins are the obvious category from God's word. God's word says it. You can't do that. But the, so why wait? Now your translation may say hindrance. Why this one? Because this is the category of things that are not obvious. These aren't as obvious. And these are things that maybe at the start, they're not even sinful. But we've, we've started sinning with them. They're leading us to sin. Like your entertainment budget and your pursuit of entertainment. It's not, Netflix is not sinful. But it can become sinful. It can become a weight. Your movies and your hobbies and your music and these things are not sinful in and of themselves, but they, we can use them to sin. And we can use them in such a way that they do begin to weigh us down and we don't run as fast with Christ as we used to. And here's the really tricky thing about it, guys, is that this, these things even aren't universal. The sins, these are universal. If God's word says this is a sin, it is true for every human being on the planet. It is universal. But the weights are not universal. It, it, because what may be a weight to me may not be a weight to you. What may be a hindrance to me may not be a hindrance to you. And where we get things crazy in the local church is where we get super legalistic. And if I go, you know what, just, let's make up an example. Uh, man, my, my music's really been just, I haven't been able to walk with Christ. I've been listening to dishonoring music to Christ. And that's leading me to have dishonoring thoughts. And so I, I'm getting rid of all my music. I'm not even going to listen to Christian music. I'm just, it's all gone. I'm laying that weight aside. And you should too. Well, that's, that's too far because that may not be a weight or a hindrance to you. So you see, this is where we can get legalistic and get tricky, but sins, universal, got to go. Weights, we, we've got to assess our own lives before the Lord. And honestly, asking in prayer to him, 
Lord, what are the weights and hindrances that are in my life that are keeping me from running well with you? And look at he says, we've got to lay aside every one. Let us lay aside every weight, not some, not a few, but every. That word every is horribly important because we would like to compromise and just do a few. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let go of this one. No, he wants every one. Not just the obvious ones, everyone. So the question is, does this help me run the race? Does this help me live focused on Christ? Or does it hinder me? Is it sin? It's got to go. Or has this good thing become now a hindrance in my life, walking with Christ, and now I've got to lay it aside? Because it what? It clings so closely. Imagine trying to run a three-legged race versus somebody doing a normal race. You get smoked. Same here, cling so close to this word means it's, it's restricting you. It's obstructing your view and it's clinging to you, restricting your movement. It's crowded. Your lane is crowded and you can't run. So Hebrews 12 is really elevating the urgency of discipleship. He wants us to ask more than what we usually ask. Is it sinful? That's usually the low-hanging default question we ask. Is it sinful? That's obvious. He wants us to go to what is not obvious. Is it helpful? Is it helping me run the race? Because if you want to run the race with endurance, that's the next question we ask. Is it helping me run my race with Jesus? Is social media, is, it my, is my phone, is it slowing me down? I mean, I saw Desiring God did a survey where almost everyone in the survey, thousands of people did it, said they checked their phones and social media so much in the morning, first thing in the morning, that they totally don't have time and forget to read their Bible. I'm not saying we've got to be people who read their Bibles first in the morning. We're not true Christians. That's not what I'm saying. But the point of that survey was our phones and social media and these kinds of things are hindering us. Sports, my, your kids' sports, slowing you down and distracting you from running your race well with Jesus. Your pursuit of a healthy body in the gym. Is it distracting you from Christ? Freedom in your schedule if you're single because you're so free and so open. Instead of, it, instead of running harder and running faster, are you running in other directions? What are you doing instead when you could be feasting on God's word? What are you doing when you could be serving others? And what are you doing when you could be praying? I mean, see, all of these things are now coming together and go, what is keeping me from running as well as I could be running? We've got to ask the Lord, what is it, Lord? Reveal it to me. What, what do I need to lay aside? Because we can be really good at kind of the Lord revealing to us, just showing to us, okay, that social media or, or these movies or the way I'm spending my time on the weekends, that this is dishonoring to Christ, what I do in the evenings. And then we just feel bad about it and think that was enough. And not the lay, a, lay it aside, to stop, to cease that. And then to walk in holiness. Because if we want to endure, we want to run the race well, we got to go that way. But that's not the only thing we have to do. We also have to do the next thing that he shows us is now, after we lay those things aside, now we look to Jesus. So verse 1 again, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
And for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's, it's all about keeping our eyes and our focus and attention on Christ. And this word looking, it isn't just a glance or just an acknowledgement, like today at the park. You're going to be at the park, your kids are going to be playing here at the picnic, and a spouse is going to say to the other spouse, hey, will you, will you watch after the kids? Will you look at the kids, you know, watch them? And the dad's probably going to go, yeah, sure, I got them. Before you know it, he's talking with his buddies, and he's just looking, he's just looking at the kids every now and then or looking at his phone. and look. That's not the same kind of looking. This word looking, in other translations, they say keeping our eyes on Jesus. Because now this is an undistracted, unfazed focus on Christ where your attention does not shift. It's a Christ-centered gaze. I mean, the NBA playoffs are on right now, and it's just amazing to watch some of these guys. And when they go and shoot free throws, after they've been fouled and they get to go to the line and shoot these free throws. And if you're the away team, you're not the home team, it's not your arena, and you've got thousands of people screaming at you. Thousands. Yelling at you, shaking things, mascots shaking their tails, loud things going on, people popping out of trash cans. Amazing things are happening. And the guy can just walk up, dribble, shh. Un, he's unfaced. If you and I did that, I think we would just curl up into a ball in the middle of all of that. Why? Because he is so trained. He is so focused. Even one of the Rockets players, Patrick Beverly, he says, these things don't bother me. I played in Russia. There were smoke grenades going off in the background. I can, I can play basketball. Our lives. Is the risen Jesus the center of our attention? That our motivation, our goal, him, and always him, no matter what is happening, no matter what comes into our lives, we keep looking to Jesus. When adversity hits, we keep looking to him. When horrible news from the doctor comes, we keep looking to him. We keep our eyes on the Jesus we've been hearing about for 11 chapters now. All these great things we've learned about Jesus for 11 chapters isn't for nothing. It's for this moment to keep looking to him. The one who, chapter 1 says, upholds the universe by the word of his power. The one who, after making purification for your sins, sat at the right hand of the throne of God. The one who's greater than the angels. The one who's greater than Moses. The one who is your sympathetic and large-hearted high priest. We keep looking to that Jesus Christ. Are you looking to him? who is, verse 2, the founder and perfecter of your faith. It's an amazing phrase. Beloved, Jesus is the founder and the finisher of your faith. You are a Christian because of Jesus. And you will stay a Christian because of Jesus. He is the founder, the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. It all depends on him. He is in charge. He will see you through to the end. And that's why we keep looking to him. Because he's the only one who can sustain us. He's the beginning and the end of your faith. Our lives, our Christian lives, they, they don't begin with Jesus and then, okay, now it's all up to us and we, we kind of do our own thing and just get help from Jesus whenever we can. No, that is not the way the Christian life works. He is divine. We are the branches. And apart from him, John 15, we can do nothing. We endure till the end, not by our sheer force of will, but because we look to him. And so to look to him means we trust him. We're looking to him for help, looking to him for guidance, looking to him for safety, looking to him for to be carried. 
And what did he do? Verse 2. Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he died in our place and for our sins to take the penalty for our sins, to forgive us. And maybe you need to look to him for the first time and believe that today. And he endured it. He endured the grueling horrors of the Roman cross. Why? Not to be some religious example for us. To be our Savior, yes, but why else? For the joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That is an odd arrangement of words. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because of the great joy of knowing he was going to save you. That he was going to redeem you from your sins. That he was going to deliver you from the domain of darkness. And that he was going to deliver you into his kingdom. And he was going to be able to deliver you from all of your sins. And he was going to present you righteous and not guilty before the Father. And he was going to glorify the Father. And that he was going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And that he was now going to be able to plant churches all around the world. And his name would be made great. It gave Jesus such joy that he endured the cross. And he despised the shame. He despised the despising of the cross, of being crucified. He despised it. Didn't didn't faze him. Even our great Jesus looked forward and ran through the tape with joy set before him. He's worthy of our devotion, worthy of our looking. And when you've seen Jesus, when when you've seen his cross, when you've seen his resurrection, you want to be devoted to him. You want to live for him. That he did that for me. So you do lay aside these weights and sins. You stop sinning in this way and because Jesus is worth it. So have you seen him? Have you seen Jesus in this way? Do you look to Jesus? One of my greatest concerns in the Bible Belt is that when things get hard and life revs up in difficulty or temptations and sins, sometimes we don't look to Jesus. We just look to Christianity. We look to things we know. Random collections of verses we know. We look to religion instead of looking to the risen Christ himself. Do you look to Jesus or just things you know about Jesus? Do you look and see by faith the risen Christ leading you, guiding you, loving you, sustaining you, loving you? I think some of us need to be saved from our Christianity. And saved to Christ. Some of us need to look beyond our theological statements, and they're good and true, but to look to the Word made flesh, Christ Himself. Sometimes we get weak, beaten down, and we struggle to look, and God knows that. And God helps us. Because we can't do it on our own. That's why we must also look for God's strength training that he gives us. Look at verse 3. Consider him. So he's told us to look to him. So why now consider him? Well, I think the first one is looking. Is Remember your faith. Look to Jesus. Put your faith, your hope, and your trust, and your assurance in Christ. But now he wants us to think about Jesus. Consider him. Really dwell on him. 
See how important it is? He didn't say, consider Christianity. Consider our religion. Consider our true statements. Consider him. We need him. So consider him who what? Who endured from sinners such hostility. So do you see the endurance? This word's been said three times now in three verses. Verse one, let us run the race with endurance. Verse two, look into Jesus who endured the cross. And now verse three, consider him who endured from sinners hostility. So his, enduring his persecutions. So we're to endure how? We look to Christ who endured such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. God knows we can get overwhelmed, exhausted, weary from life and our sufferings, our trials and our temptations. It's awful. And for these Christians, add persecution to the mix. We're going to see at the end of the book, Timothy just got out of jail. They're being taken to jail. It's getting difficult. It's getting, they're getting weary. He tells them, don't give up. Look, consider Christ. Look to him. Keep your eyes on him. Think about him. Meditate on him. Pray to him. Be fed by him. Dwell on him. Because he endured hostility from sinners too. He endured persecution, and, and we will too. The more difficult it gets in our culture to live for Christ and to make much of him, to say he's the only way, it will get increasingly difficult. But why did Jesus endure that hostility from those sinners? Look at what he says so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus received the crown of thorns. He could have easily just plucked that thing off. He received it. He received the punches. He received the mocking. He received his beard being ripped out. Not to just be our example, but to empower us when when hostility hits us. When difficulty hits us, now we are empowered by the risen Christ. And when it's our turn, we will not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look at verse 4. In your struggle against sin, so now even just battling our sins, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In our struggles against temptation and sin, we have not gotten to the point where we've been sweating blood or even having our blood shed. And th- this isn't a dig on us, a shame on us. You can read it. Don't, don't read it in that way as a, come on. You bunch of weaklings, you haven't even shed your blood yet. Get your act together. That, that is not the, the tenor of that, that verse. Now, some of these Christians, they will have their blood be shed in following Christ. Even as we saw two Sundays ago on Palm Sunday, ISIS bombing and killing dozens of Christians in Egypt. So in a sense, the difficulty for us, it is not at max potential. I think it's kind of what he's getting at. The difficulty is not even at max potential yet. But in another way, he's reminding us that we haven't shed our blood for our struggles against our sins, but someone else has. That Jesus shed his blood for our struggle against our sins. That we've been forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. We've been set free and made new and delivered by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross and forgiven by his life that is alive now. By the risen Christ. He's helping us to learn to keep our eyes fixed on him. Look to him. Consider him. Chunk what is distracting you. Stop the sins you're aware of and lay aside those weights and look to Jesus. And endure till the end. And and know, I mean, God knows we need help. 
This is why we have the Bible. This is why we have the Holy Spirit. This is why we have each other. If we were, if we were capable of doing this all on our own, we wouldn't be here. If we were capable of living the Christian life on our own, we wouldn't even have this Bible. We wouldn't have each other. But we need each other's help. And our good Father helps us. And he trains us. He, he, if you go back to the metaphor of the race, he corrects our form and he, he helps our gait. He helps our steps and our battles against sin and our fight to run the race. We're being trained by God. Look at verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He reminds us we're children of God. Remember what your father says, and this is from the book of Proverbs. My son, my children, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, corrects every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God will correct us, not because he's vengeful, God is not vengeful towards his children. God does not do things in our lives out of spite. His wrath has already been poured out on his son for us. There is no more God, no, there's no more wrath of God in his tank for your life if you are in Christ. Jesus drank from that cup in full. But God is a good father, and he disciplines his children which is what all good discipline of a child is. It's correction. And we go have to realize on another level here, this is really important, that the discipline he's talking about mainly right now, this is not the discipline of a child that misbehaves. Usually, I think probably all of us, when we read this word discipline, we thought immediately, okay, a child that misbehaves. So that's timeouts, it's going to be the rod, it's going to be where it takes stuff away, um, that, that kind of discipline, a, a a misbehaving discipline. This is not that word. This word is a proactive training. Like athletes discipline themselves. Disciplined. Not, they're not punishing themselves. They are trained, committed, growing, learning. This is proactive training to function as an adult. The word means to bring to maturity. He even says our, our earthly fathers did this. Verse 9, besides, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Now, there's a lot of first century culture embedded here, of course. This was written in the first century. In this culture, the fathers did most of the training for life, taught them life skills. The mothers did not. They did the kind of everyday care, and the dad had the main responsibility of life training. But today, moms and dads, we share the load, and we, we do these things together. And I am well aware, too, that some of us, we didn't really know our fathers in, in this way, teaching us life skills. And if they did, they weren't kind about it. And they were harsh and critical or abusive. And I know some of us struggle to relate to God as our father. We struggle here. That's why he says in verse 10, they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, our Father, that we may share his holiness. So it's not for our bad, but for our good. 
And so what Hebrews is doing here is it's saying, I, look, I know we struggle to relate to God as our father, so let's imagine the best earthly father, or maybe you had a great father who taught you how to grill and taught you how to change oil. He, he taught you how to cook and he taught you how to iron. Your mom taught you just receive this kind of life coaching and training. This is what this is about. So maybe your parents didn't give you that, but just imagine the best fatherly example. Go back to Ward Cleaver. Or go way back in TV. Don't think of Ray Romano or Dad's Day. You got to go way back. You got to dial back a couple of decades to find good dads on TV now. Amen. And uh, you think about them. And then now, how much more our Heavenly Father? Well, there is no mixed motives in Him. There is, there is not a, a fly off the handle element with Him. How much more does our Heavenly Father love us and train us? How much more does he do these things for our good? That's why verse 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful. All, all training is not pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is why I think he's talking about training. For those who have been trained by it. God's discipline, even if it's corrective discomfort, it's training us leading us and helping us for all of life, how to endure. We are learning how to endure from God, how to get our focus back on Jesus, how to focus on reality with Christ, even through trials, to, to keep looking to Jesus. That's why he says in verse 12, Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, may not be dislocated, your atrophied muscles, but rather healed. So he's back to this analogy again, this race metaphor. So exhausted, you can't even lift up your arms. I feel like giving up. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Weak knees. If you're going to run, you've got to have strong knees. They're important. Clear a path for your feet. Clear your lane. Don't put stuff in your way. Atrophied muscles, what the word lame really means. Muscles gone, almost dislocated, almost out of joint. He says they can be healed, strengthened. Suffering and trials do this. They make us feel weak. Make us feel really weak. And I don't know if, like, we feel honestly in our own hearts and in our prayers, Lord, I feel weak. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can go on. So what is the prayer? Strengthen my hands, Lord. Strengthen my needs. This is like calling for Strength training, spiritual strength training by faith to keep looking to Christ, to run through the tape, to make it. I mean, for probably two, two years now, I have had this nagging discomfort in my back, just this bulging disc on my sciatic nerve that even if I sneeze, pain just shoots down my leg and into my calf. Where I, I can't even lift up my leg in a chair without any pain. I can't play basketball. I can't run. I really can't do much of anything. It's, it feels fine if I don't do anything, but if I try to roll around the floor with my son, it's just super painful, icing it down, laying down for a day. I had to do something. I had to be strengthened, strengthen your weak back, your drooping hands, your weak knees. Something had to be done. I had to eat better. I had to, I have to stretch every day. I have to work out my hamstring and my core. Doctor said there's a six-pack under there. You've got to find it. got to bring it out. And slowly but surely, I'm feeling better. So did God allow this pain in my life because he's disciplining me? Yes. 
because I'm his son. And he's training me. He didn't bring it into my life because I committed some sin. This is sometimes how we think. That's not why this was brought into my life. I don't know why it was brought into my life. But it's not punishment. It's not because of some sin I committed. He's training me through it. Nothing is wasted with God. Even now, I find myself to be more sympathetic towards others in pain. I find myself even more dependent on God for his help, for his mercy. And it's same for our run with Jesus. How do we get stronger by faith? So how do we strengthen our weak knees? How do we strengthen our drooping hands? How do we get our muscles stretched? And how do we work up a spiritual sweat and, and strain? How do we run the race with endurance? That's why I think the race analogy is so good. Carbs and protein. Every, everybody that ever talk about working out, anybody that just joined the gym, anybody that just bought P90X, anybody that's doing whatever, they're going to talk about carbs, protein, CrossFit. You're going to hear it all the time. This is true. And what did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need the carbs of God's word and the protein the meat and potatoes of the Christian life. As First Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. It is no surprise that if you have atrophied spiritual muscles, I would almost guarantee that you are not doing many reps with God's word. So start. Strengthen your weak knees. Lift up your drooping hands. Get reps going in God's word. And, and then don't do a couple of sets this week or, or read tomorrow morning and go, well, I can't believe I haven't changed yet. That'd be like if I went to the gym once. I did, I did a set of crunches. I can't believe I still have a spare tire. What's going on here? I want my money back. That's not how this works. It takes time, sets, and reps after reps after reps. Keep lifting. Keep reading. Don't give up. And it's not that, okay, I'm just going to read the Bible. I'm going to start a reading plan. That's going to do the trick. That's not going to do the trick. We look to Jesus. So don't even, it's not, okay, I'm, okay, I'm going to start looking to my spiritual disciplines. No. The spiritual disciplines are a, they're like a telescope to Christ, to look to him. The electrolytes and the rehydrating, the living water of fellowship with God and God himself and enjoying him, thinking of him, meditating, praying, worshiping him, group exercises together with God's people. If we're going to run the race with endurance, we've got to see this is more than mattress shopping. Let's, run, let's lay aside the hindrances. Lay aside our sins. And let's look to Jesus together. And let's run the race with endurance. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.